On this week's episode of the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I share my interview with Adam Sklar of Sklar Bikes in Bozeman, Montana. Each week on the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I get on the phone and I interview someone in the bike frame building world for however long it is, 30 minutes or, or more usually. And we talk about the world of frame building. So it's mostly frame builders and sometimes it's frame painters or, or other people in the larger world. And, uh, you know, the people who make the whole industry happen and function. But uh, this week it is a frame builder. It's Adam Sklar in Bozeman, Montana, and he does Sklar bikes, which I'm sure you're all aware of. Uh, Adam, I think most people would say is, uh, is doing pretty well with frame building. And so he's a couple years younger than me and we've been friends for quite a long time. Uh, I think since 2013 or 2014. And so I'm, I'm just a couple years older than him. I took a frame building class when I was 20 and I got super interesting, super interested in this stuff. And I think he started around that time or when he was a little bit younger. Uh, and then, you know, he and I would talk some about that when we were both kind of new to this and trying to figure it out. And, we're very enthusiastic about it, and um, you know we just talk on Facebook Messenger a lot, and so uh, it's cool to get him on the show, and it's especially cool because I think most people would say that it seems he's doing pretty well with frame building. Um, you know, for for a younger person who's newer to it, uh, I think he makes really good bikes. I think he's you know been very busy and consistent. I mean, regardless of his age, for anyone, uh, you know, he's just really doing a lot of cool and interesting stuff, and he's just uh, it's it's kind of impressive to see the speed that he's he's gone through the motions of like uh developing his career and getting up to speed with a solid brand that makes really cool stuff and that people are excited about and so um i've been excited thinking about having him on the show and i'm really glad that i was able to get this interview with him and to share it with you all and uh and i wanted to focus on and draw out some questions that i thought would be particularly relevant to like you know what makes him uh, you know, sort of unique and what makes his work stand out and uh, some of the things that I see as like sort of keys to success that I think he does well. And so um, if you're not familiar with his background, you know, he's, he was in, uh, he was, he was in school uh, in college in Bozeman, Montana to be a mechanical engineer. And so while he was doing that, he was also, um, uh, he was also frame building and he had different shops, you know, little small garages in the places that he rented or whatever it was. And he was building bikes all through school. And then I think uh, after he graduated, he worked for some period of time as a professional with his degree. And uh, <clears throat> and when the time was right, he quit that. And he's been doing, uh, you know, Sklar bikes, uh, you know, full-time frame building business, bike manufacturing business for the last, uh, well, I mean, the, the, it's six years old now. I, I don't know if he's been doing it full-time the entire time. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, but anyhow, uh, he's doing really cool stuff. And so I'm glad to have him on the show and uh, to pick his brain <laughs> about about these things. Uh, he's he's really good at branding and marketing. And it's it's, you know, it's no coincidence. It's because he thinks about it a lot. And I think that stuff is fascinating. And so even though this is a show about frame building, I want to cover that when people particularly do that well, because I think that's kind of the secret sauce that like if you're a good frame builder and you can think about business and marketing and you can do a good job of it, I think that's the secret sauce to making it really happen. Uh, whereas if you're just a good frame builder alone, you'll be a good frame builder, but it, the business of it is just always hard. And um, 
So I like to get into that with the people who, who I know are uh, kind of nerds about that. I also want to say that my tube bender uh, has been priced for like the last year at $1,500. And when you buy the tube bender, which can bend all sorts of bike tubing from like seat stays and chain stays to main tubes, you know, seat tubes, and you can even use it for, you know, some, some sorts of like kooky stems or things probably you could make with it too. And uh, so that's been priced at uh, like $1,500 and that comes with one bend setup. So like if you want to bend inch and three eighths tube to a six and three quarter inch center line radius for a seat tube on a mountain bike or something. And that's been the pricing and uh, the price needs to go up on that. It's, um, you know, it, it's just that there's a lot of pieces that go into it. It's kind of expensive to produce. And so uh, I'm raising the price from $1,500 to $1,600. And that price jump is on September 15th, which is like only a week away. And uh, if you have a if you have like a down payment or if you've paid for it by then, you get the fifteen hundo pricing. And so I just wanted to to put that plug in there for anyone who's been thinking about it or they've been on the fence about it. Uh, it's a really cool product. And if you have a small shop and you have a reasonable you know small shop budget and you want to take your stuff to the next level, uh, being able to control the bends in the bike, you know, in the seat tube down to you know seat stays, chain stays, putting the bends where you want them puts you in so much control of how you make the bikes and what you make. And I feel like it's um, as much as I'm selling a tube bender to people, like, yes, of course it bends tubes and I think it does a good job and I think it's pretty elegant to use. But what that allows you to do is really, I think, step up uh, step up your, your bike frame building game to the next level where you have so much more control over every little thing. And if you want to make iterative changes, you know, you want to bend something and then look at it and then <laughs> scrap the tubes and do another one you can. It's also really easy to design in BikeCAD or other software and then get it right the first time. Uh, you know, you lay out the design and then because my tube bender has graduations for angles of degree and, and all that stuff, it's actually really easy to, uh, on the first try, make a set of seat stays or whatever that match the print for what you're going for. And that, I think it does that really well, better than a lot of other benders that are not um, configured the same way. And so uh, if you want to get that bender and you've been thinking about it, now is the time to send me an email and, uh, and put in your order before September 15th. And so uh, where we're cutting into the interview here with Adam, um, we were talking about, I asked him to, to talk about how he got started in frame building. He didn't take a frame building class. And, um, and so, you know, that's different than a lot of folks who've gone on to do good things with frame building. He's not alone. There are other people who also do great work in frame building who did not take like a frame building class, quote unquote. But, um, you know, it's always interesting to me, like if you hadn't taken a class, how would you even know where to begin? And so I asked him about that. And that is where the interview starts. I was really self-taught for a while where, um, I mean, self-taught, like no one's really self-taught, but, um, I learned a lot on the internet. So I had been riding bikes and I'd always like making things. And one day I was like walking down the street with a friend and they were like, Oh, you should build a bike which is something that like never occurred to me. And I sort of just got super obsessed with it. And uh, yeah, I started reading all the forums and ended up just buying a tube set and buying like a map gas torch from Home Depot and sticking together uh, like this horrible lugged cross bike that was like, it was so bad. I never put parts on it. Super bad. Um, and then uh yeah, and then I took it to this local builder. So this is when I was in, it was my first semester, of the winter break after my first semester of college. And um, I built this over winter, yeah, over winter break at my parents' garage in Boulder. 
and I took it to this guy, Walt, who did Walt works. Mm-hmm. I think he's mostly still around, but I had bought a fork from him. And so I sort of knew him and I brought it over and I was like, Hey, look what I made. And he like felt bad for me, but you know, saw that I'd done something. And so he like helped me. He gave me a little brazing lesson it was like, you should do fillet brazing because you can see if you did a bad job, you know, with lugs, you can't. Um, hmm. But anyway, that was really helpful. And then I sort of, you know, I was going to engineering school and I pieced some stuff together. I don't know if this is going too deep, but no. yeah, I was just building bikes in my garage really. And uh, I probably built like seven, I think I had built seven Philip Ray's frames when I figured out, someone told me one of the professors at school had been a, had built frames in like the seventies and eighties. And that, so I went and introduced myself. Is mm-hmm. that Tom, Tom Youngst or no? Tom Youngst. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So he was a professor and um, ran the machine shop and um, I showed him like my frames I'd built and um, he sort of snuck me into the machine shop and let me build some tools. And then eventually I ended up working in that machine shop um, and which is where I made a lot of my tools. <laughs> That's and, awesome. Um, but he was always like, I mean, he was a, a great mentor. And, um, and then I also ended up working, he had a personal shop as well. And he rented me space out of that shop. So I probably built my next, I think when I got the shop space in his shop was when I was like really taking it seriously. Um, and I was able to save up enough money from working in a machine shop to take the summer in between semesters off. And uh, I worked in Tom's shop and he was there all the time. And so if I had questions, it wasn't like, you know, he had, hadn't built frames in 20 years, but um, it was always like, if I had a question about thing, he would talk to me about, Oh, like this is what I did when I was doing it. Or, mm-hmm. you know, he was also a super talented machinist and fabricator. And so, um, that's not a really good feedback. I, yeah. learned, I learned a lot from him. You know, something I yeah. remember is, you know, you're just a couple of years younger than me, like two or three years younger than me. And so I took mm-hmm. a frame building class when I was 20, halfway through undergrad and I was, mm-hmm. you know, in apartments that did not have garages, and I didn't know where yeah. I could find any kind of workspace, and I didn't know of any houses I could rent that had a garage, and so, like, I didn't have a space to do it. I found a, a mm-hmm. metal sculpture professor who rode mountain bikes, and he let me do an independent study, and I did some, like, torch work and stuff, but I didn't have any space where oh, I could cool. keep tools or anything on campus. Mm-hmm. And so I just like, it was like kind of like, I knew that I wanted to get into frame building, but I felt like there was no way that was going to happen while I was in school. And like, I should just finish school first. And so I did that. And then like a couple years later, I'm like buddies with you on the internet. And I see that you, you made it happen. Yeah. And I was like, Oh God, he's doing it. Like, oh, maybe I should have tried a little harder to like oh, yeah. scope out that place. You know, like I, I always admire that you, um, you made it keep happening the whole time while you're in school and, and while you had other jobs and stuff, because uh, I think if I would have worked a little bit harder for the, the search for a shop or something, I could have made something happen. I just like, for some reason, I just like, I guess it, it wasn't in my brain that it was like really an option. And so I was just like waiting or something, but uh, yeah. And then well, it, I think that was, yeah. Oh, I think that was maybe one of the cooler things about being more on the self-taught side is that I never, I know something I've encountered with people who like go to, who learn from someone else or they're like, Oh, I need a mill to do each of these operations. And I was just like, I mean, I was using a hacks on files and I was like, Oh, I built a bike with nothing. Like I can, yeah, I could do it in a shed or whatever. Um, I was, I think that was an advantage to not have any preconceived ideas yeah. of what you needed or, 
I think generally, yeah, that's really valuable to not like, uh, you know, when you think that it needs to go a certain way, then that can, it can kind of limit your, uh, creative problem solving or something toward like okay there's gotta be a way to do it it's not the best but like there's gonna be a way and i'll figure that out yeah Yeah, i don't know for me i just like i couldn't find any space at all or like i didn't have like a i guess i i probably could have thought about it more creatively and found a way to to do it or something but uh Mm -hmm. yeah it felt like a big stretch to yeah like part of the way that i learned i guess was like it wasn't, you didn't need a frame fixture. You didn't need anything that complicated, but like it really relied mm-hmm. on having like a table, like a flat, you know, surface plate or something. And that mm-hmm. was the thing that I felt like I didn't have. And so I guess like oh, yeah. you don't, you don't necessarily need that even. Like it's really helpful if you no. want to make it straight, of course. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think that's a, yeah. a good point that like there's no bare minimum. Like you can make a bicycle frame with nothing. It's like, it's just hard and slow. Yeah. I mean, because that's all that time I was moving. I probably lived in like three or four houses that had garages at that time. And it was like, I had a bench I made out of two by fours with a vice on it. And I had an oxyacetylene set up with tiny little tanks mm-hmm. and some files. And I was, I was in a hand drill. Yeah. It was like all I had for years. And, um, yeah. yeah and you cool still to, don't even have like, a huge shop with tons of machines. Like you have a couple small, small machines and i think they're they do a lot of work for you from what i can tell but like you know you don't have like an incredibly tool heavy shop yeah i've been i mean the shop space i've been in now for five years which feels crazy is um i still only have like i think it's 650 square feet or so and Mm -hmm. um i think i've got it pretty dialed but i'm i'm definitely minimalist and um you know it's nice to have a lot of tools but I think it makes you be more organized and more creative and yeah, like that part about limiting yourself. Yeah. I mean, I feel that way. My shop is 400 square feet. It's a little bit less than I can use. And I have a CNC Uh mill in there and a bridge port and like, (laughs) it's crazy. Yeah. It's too small and I will get a bigger shop, uh, you know, as soon as I can find the right thing and make it happen. But, uh, but it's so cheap. I can't complain. So anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Low overhead is important in the beginning, and I've been reflecting on this personally, that, like, if if you want it to be a business, like, you should expect that someday you can, I think, uh, you should expect that someday you can pay, like, a legitimate price for your space or whatever, and if you don't think that you, that's ever going to happen... Well, whatever. There's all different ways to do it. But like for me, it's like I, I'm headed to where I can pay, like, a legitimate price. But what having, like, a very cheap hookup you know, like a, an affordable space has done over the years is that it has allowed me the sort of leeway to grow gradually without feeling like I needed to um, be profitable from the start because I certainly wasn't and I wouldn't have been. And uh, and I think in the long term, that starts to pay off if you like give yourself the time to figure stuff out. Definitely. Yeah, and that's what I did with the frames too. I mean, I, I was never really in any rush to... I kind of pretty... Um, I was dragging my heels to make it a full-time job for a long time. I think, well, you know, we, cause we used to talk all the time. We yeah. were like, for the listeners at home, we were like Facebook messenger pen pal yeah. <laughs> for when you're we both getting started. And I remember, um, talking about like, you were always wanting to make, like, I want to do this as a business and I kind of want to be employed when I was always kind of like, Oh, I like doing this. I don't know if I want it to be a job. And, um, so that kind of helped me yeah, it grew slowly and it just got to the point where I couldn't do, I, it was taking up so much time and yeah. I really wanted to do it, but, um, yeah, grown slow. 
being able to afford, yeah, not having to rush to pay rent or uh, feel that kind of pressure helps you make, like, I think, smarter business decisions and yeah, uh, yeah, cool for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing, and there's a lot of things that you've done that I've been jealous of, uh, but one of them is that <laughs> you've you've in Bozeman you found, and maybe outside of Bozeman also, but I know especially with like Tom Youngst, and I know you have some sort of relationship with Carl Strong too, and he's of course you know mm-hmm. been building bikes since forever. And, uh, and mm-hmm. I've heard you talk about like the importance of seeking out and developing relationships with like good mentors or like mavens or, or whatever. Um, yeah. And, and how that's really like necessary or, you know, it's like part of uh, your success and it's, it's necessary to like succeeding in a lot of things. Uh, and I was just curious for you to talk about that. So. Yeah, I guess that's, I think it, it is a big part of my success that I found sort of a perfect storm of mentors so like tom my mentorship with tom was super helpful because i kind of opened up the door to realize how asking for help can like can be amazing and you can have these really cool relationships and you know you can learn an insane amount and people are really willing to share especially when you show that you're working on something or when you have work to show yeah like i remember the first time i met carl strong i went over there and i was kind of like oh bikes are cool right like what do you do and then and I know, like, I felt so bad when I left because he was not impressed, I could tell. <laughs> it's like the next time I came back, I came back, like, six months later, and I was like, here's here's the frame I just made. It's the sweetest bike I've made, and, like, here's a list of questions I want to ask you. And I think that really made a huge difference. Yeah. But, um, so, like, yeah, go find people. Don't tell them, like, I love, I love bikes. I've been, like, that's... I get, I get, it's crazy now that I get like emails from people who like want to make it, but they're like, Oh, I love bikes. I'm so passionate about bikes. I want to do this. And it's like, how about like, that's really cool. Like a lot of people like bikes, but you know, if you can see that someone's putting an effort on their own, it's a lot more compelling to help them out. Yeah. I saw Um, something or I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about like networking and like, you know, leveraging what you have to make connections with people who are smarter than you when it mm-hmm. can feel like you don't want to waste people's time. And the thing that totally. the, these people were talking about was that like, uh, that like they felt like so many people do want to help people, even if you're busy, even if you, you know, mm-hmm. if you've, if you've helped people and had it go nowhere, but like what you want to avoid. Yeah. It's like have helping people and have it go nowhere. And so like when you see that the person who is asking for your help is like the kind of person who's actually going to follow through with the things you suggest right. and who's actually going to like, you can see that they've already put in a bunch of effort. So you know that like, mm-hmm. they're not just talk. It's like, those are the kinds of things that, that I think, um, and I wish that, yeah, like I wish that I would have thought about that more when I was younger. Cause I felt like I was afraid to waste people's time and I didn't think critically about like, yeah, like, cause like when you're not afraid to ask for help and then you, you, you make a relationship with someone who can help you and wants to help you. That's like, one of the most valuable things you can do. And uh, totally. I did not start doing that very much until the last couple of years. And I kind of regret that. Oh, so. yeah. yeah. I mean, it can be awesome. It can be, you know, you can both help each other as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I've met, I mean, on the, I think like the, the people I met in Bozeman who were really helpful was Tom was great. And then Carl was also super helpful and still is like, I'll still, I, for a while, I was living like a few blocks away, and I would mess something up. I'd be like, "Oh, Carl, <laughs> what do I do?" <laughs> and he's always been super generous 
and Loretta too. I mean, they both have a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. And then I also got in with, um, there was a bike shop in town that uh, I was sort of, they, they do a lot of community stuff. So I'd hang out there and I was, became friends with the owners. Um, and they had this, oh, my space that I'm in now is where, but they had this, um, like, the space next to them had become open and they rented it out just because they might need it someday. Mm-hmm. And um, I begged them for months to let me in, which was cool. And they finally did. Um, <laughs> but one of the owners, Mason has been wrenching on bikes for 25 years. Like her dad owned a bike shop. Wow. So super awesome mechanic. And she's been huge in like, you know, like I'll build or not now I'm perfect, but you know, back when I wasn't, <laughs> um, <laughs> you like don't wrap the cables like this like that's dumb or like you know i've seen like a million bikes come in with this stop and like that doesn't work um yeah so she's awesome to have there and then steve the other owner worked in like uh you know branding and marketing for 10 years 15 years before he owned the bike shop and so he was he's been super and in, um super helpful in getting like my my perspective on branding and like, which is such an important part of yeah, building yeah. or any business, right. Is like just, um, you know, the whole business side of it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember talking to you a couple of years ago, uh, something about, I don't remember what it was. There's some nuts and bolts thing about frame building that I was hung up on. And you were saying something about like how, you're like, I don't know, whatever, man, you know, like, and you were saying that you spent like five times more energy at that moment, you know, or maybe you're exaggerating for a fact. You said you spent five more times, <laughs> five times more energy thinking about like the business and the marketing and like the, the big picture of that sort of stuff than like, than like the getting you know sort of lost in the weeds of the nuts and bolts of the little shop things. And to me, I was like, well, who cares, man? The shop stuff's the fun stuff. I didn't do this to make a business. <laughs> yeah. I had such a different perspective about uh, those things a couple of years ago, I guess. Um, but anyway. I can see that with the way that you approach your business, which is to say that like, it's obvious that you are very interested in the shop stuff. You're very good at it. You like it. And I think you do a great job of it. But like, I think you, you have, I don't know if it's totally unique, but like, I think you have a pretty good capacity for, um, you know, like letting the shop stuff be shop stuff and, and having a big picture approach to like what it's going to take to run the business that you want to, to have the impact that you want to, and to cover the ground that you want to. And like, yeah, like not getting so lost in the weeds always, which I think is like tempting for a lot of us uh, because it's fun to like try and make something super perfect or try and make a process that's super perfect. And I guess like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, is that something that you've always felt that way? Or you, you saw, you learned at some point that that was going to be like a, a valuable orientation that was going to pay off or like, I don't know. I'm curious about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I think figuring out that I enjoy running a business and I enjoy being self-employed has been the big, like I, I did not expect that at all. Mm-hmm. Totally. Cause I got started cause I was obsessed with, you know, making bikes and I was like, figuring out how to bend tubes and weld stuff. And that was all I could think about. And, um, yeah, then eventually you make enough bikes and like, I mean, still like, I'm still learning how to, make things better every single time but um you know that becomes you know it's it's still like that's doing work and it's kind of cool to have that in a place where it's like building a frame is like going to work it's like it's really fun and it's work i enjoy but it's um it's no longer like that really 
engaging, super learning time. It's um, like, that's the job. And then I don't know where I'm going with this really, <laughs> but, um, but I, well, I guess like I was listening to, I was listening to your interview with Mike DeSalvo and like he was talking about how, you know, if I don't know what he's saying, something like, Oh yeah. If like, I don't charge enough, like I have to go look for a job, you know? Yeah. Um, which is a great perspective. I thought, cause uh, you know, frame building a lot of its customer service. I look at it mostly as like a customer service business, right? Like you're providing yeah. an experience with the customer. Um, you know, you're, they're talking to the person who's building their bikes. Um, and I think probably the best service you can provide your customer is staying in business mm-hmm. because so many builders go out of business. Yeah. Um, and like the best way to stay in business is run your business well. So, um, you know, doing good marketing, charging enough money for your bikes, paying yourself well, like those are all part of customer service because you're making a sustainable company yeah. that'll be around. And if you can't, if you're not sustainable, then like someone's going to, maybe they'll break their bike in a few years and you'll be gone. Yeah. Or, you know, there won't be customers who buy other sweet bikes that they can get psyched on and they're yeah. excited about having supported their company in the past. Yeah. Um, those are all things that are, super important to me yeah and there's parallels to that for sure with what i'm doing you know it's like if if for for instance if somebody buys a tube bender from me and then i'm like man i'm going broke doing this i gotta pull the plug and then they want to get additional bending dies and they can't or if i were to release like a frame building fixture and they they wanted to get some different head tube adapter and i wasn't around and they couldn't it was unsupported or or if you're like Paragon Machine Works and they want to buy a replacement derailleur hanger and you you shut up shop right. because you couldn't you couldn't afford to keep losing money on it or you know it whatever it is that you're doing there's um, being being in business down the road is like an important component to to serving the needs of your customers and uh, yeah if you want yeah. if like if you want to do it well it needs to be done sustainably and if it's going to be sustainable then you know you have to look at what your real costs are and how you're going to support that yeah and I also see it as like you know, I don't like you wouldn't like half-ass building the frame. So like why half-ass the business side of it too, yeah. you know, like there's, it seems like sometimes in the industry, there's like, Oh, there's like this talk, like, Oh, you know, I'm not like, you know, I'm a bike guy. I, I'm a maker person. Like I like to go in the shop to make stuff. And like, I'm not a businessman, but like, I don't really, I hate that because like, why would you want to say like, Oh, I have this thing that like, more than at least half of it. I just don't care about like, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, like see the whole thing through. (laughs) Yeah. For me too. Like, I think the business operations can be a lot of fun if you have, if you like accept going into it, that it's like, it's not the same thing and it maybe doesn't like stimulate the same like enthusiasm within you or something. But there's like, there's all sorts of cool things about running a business because like you get to like, if you want it to be, I think one thing that you do really well is that you have a very fun brand and like, I feel like the whole Sklar thing is just like, it's fun. You know, you have like Sklocks, like that's funny, you know, like you <laughs> yeah. have, I don't know. It's just like, it's got a, it's got a, like an air of like funness. It's like, it's like a you take one pinch like of adventure bro and you take like one pinch of like, I don't know. It's just like, it's a fun brand. (laughs) And I always thought that was cool. Like rock bands, you know, like they had merch, you know, and the t-shirt has some like 
fantastical and goofy illustration or something. And mm-hmm. like when you have a business, it's like you get to do the primary thing that your business does. But then you also get to like yeah. everything about the business from like the logo to the way the website looks and like the copy that you mm-hmm. write on your captions of your images. Everything kind of engenders mm-hmm. like a worldview or a tone or something. And totally. it's like it's fun. And and I think there's a lot of things like that where like it on its face, it doesn't sound like that much fun, but like, or like, I think a lot of people have a negative association with customer work. Like, you know, Oh, I got to answer all these emails. I'd rather be in the shop, but it's like, yeah, I think customer work is really satisfying because it's like totally. here, like I uniquely am solving someone's problem that they came to me to help them solve their problem. And like, because I've been studying this thing that my service or my product helps them with I know a lot about it and so I can actually give them a helpful answer and like that's really satisfying to be able to like actually help people like they're I don't know I I just think like there's a lot of um there's a lot of positive stuff in there if you can get yourself excited about it and and like the upside is that like when you when you can get excited about it it really makes the prospect of working for yourself like within reach yeah yeah that's awesome work for yourself is the best it is yeah Never in between. <laughs> That's what I always <laughs> tell people. Um, but it is fun. I want to talk about 3D printed parts. Uh, you have the the, the little um, chainstay yoke or the drive side piece of your chainstay on some of mm-hmm. your mountain bikes, <clears throat> which is something that I, uh, I have to assume that you 3D modeled. And then you had mm-hmm. Shapeways or some company 3D print that. And I think you said it's stainless. And um, I think that's really cool. Uh, you know, I, I have a CNC machine. I, I've, you know, CNC machining is like subtractive where you start with a whole block and you remove material. And 3D printing is additive where you're, you know, you're sintering metal together. But either way, like I just think where you're harnessing technology to make something is, is cool. And, uh, and then, you know, for you, like, you know, you have a background as you have a mechanical engineering degree and you worked briefly, I think, in that field as a professional. And so like, when you know, like when you're building a bike, you can just pick a tube set off the shelf and kind of do it the same way everybody else has done it. You don't need to be an engineer to do that. But like when you're charting mm-hmm. new territories, do you feel like that's actually like a relevant part of it? I mean, like how would you know how to do something that hadn't been done before if you didn't have like the framework to to sort of like think critically about? I, I don't know. Like like does that come into play at all? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's um, actually part of doing those yokes was sort of an exercise. And I, I think the business really started to, I mean, the business is six now. And I think this last winter, I finally, it's finally starting to feel like things are stabling out a bit, which was nice mm-hmm. and um, which is rad. And it gave me extra free time to work on some projects. And so designing and having those made was sort of an exercise to like use some of my engineering brain again. Mm-hmm. Um, which was really fun to, uh, because yeah, for almost two years, I was, a I was working at a engineering firm and doing CAD work all day, which was pretty tough for me to sit at a computer all day. Um, but I did learn a lot about modeling and all that. And, um, so yeah, it was fun to design. I mean, and that's a problem that of course there's been a ton of solutions to all sorts of different, different ways people have done it. Um, but, you know, people are starting to 3D print stuff, and so I thought it would be fun to try that out. Um, and it's really cool because, like, that yoke is hollow, and it has these internal supports. So um, it is 
it's like, but it's, it's cool to make a thing that's, um, you can say like, it really is stronger yeah. and it works better and it's lighter than what you could machine or, um, forge or even, you know, any cast or something like that. Um, yeah. That's something you'd only do with 3d printing, which is pretty neat. Um, yeah, so it was a lot of fun, um, to get made and they work awesome, uh, which has been great. And so I have them in stainless for my steel bikes. And then I've, I've also started getting some made in Thai, uh, that I've been putting in Thai bikes and the, the Thai ones are sweet. Yeah. They're super light. And that just solves that issue of fitting giant, giant tires and, um, big chain rings and yeah. Yeah. A little thing. This was so cool about, you know, a problem like technical problem solving in general. And I think frame building has a lot of that, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, you can just do things the way that they've been done or you can accept the solutions that exist. But like, I don't know. I think it's really fun to like put your thinking cap on and try and figure out a better way to do something. And, um, totally. and especially when you have a toolkit, you know, like if you know solid modeling and if you have some, <clears throat> some framework to like, you know, think your way through uh, <laughs> to know whether or not it's strong enough or, I mean, uh, what kinds of like, uh, do you, do you employ some sort of like, f- like FEA, like fa- failure analysis stuff or like mm-hmm. wh- what was your sort of strategy for trying to determine how to make it strong enough without being a boat anchor? I mean, you start off with, I think the interesting thing, like you brought up with frame building is a lot of frame builders use for reference, it's sort of rule of thumb, right? Like you're like, oh, this down tube with like this budding is good for this size rider because like that's how it's been done forever. Uh-huh. Um, so I sort of started with those assumptions, and then I did do I did use do some analysis on it in FEA. Um, the CAD I use is pretty basic, so it's not the most advanced. But I mean, you know, having had that experience with engineering, you can get out what you yeah. I know what I needed to get out of it. Um, so I did that. And then, you know, I got the first ones in and I did some destructive testing on those before I put them into any bike frames, um, which will also tell you a lot, you know, about how it fails. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And then, and then I've been riding them and my friends have been riding them and, um, you know, uh, we've had great luck with that. Um, so yeah, they've been, and then a cool little part for sure. Um, yeah. 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 Definitely the engineering degree helps with all that stuff. Yeah. And you know, hopefully it's a part where, you know, you pick it up out of your little box that you keep them in and you, uh, you, you bang some cuts on it and it's in the frame and it's welded out. And, you know, hopefully, I mean, I feel like the purpose of machines and technology is to make human life easier and better, you know? <laughs> and so like, for me, right. I don't really glorify the toil of, of any of these things. Like I like making stuff, and, um, and you sit, sometimes like sitting down with a hand file or a jeweler's saw or something, I guess they, they could be really satisfying sometimes, like, but I, mm-hmm. I don't glorify like the toil and, uh, you know, ideally yeah. something like that you design on a computer, it gets printed, it ships to you and, you know, you just put it in the frame and it, it hopefully just works awesome and helps you make a better product. Totally. And it's all, it's all about the product is, and I've had people, some of the feed, I don't know, some Instagram where I was like, Oh, it's removing the human element from fabrication. But I mean, just because, like, there's a couple things in the building thing. Like, just because you spend a long time on something doesn't make it good. It's, like, <laughs> a huge thing. Like, you, um, and, like, yeah, it's all about the, it doesn't matter how it got there. Like, this is the best thing you can have. 
Um, the end result is the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter if it was printed or machined or if your frame was welded or brazed or, um, craftsmanship is a result and not a process. Yeah. So it's, but it's fun to be able to print that stuff too. And it's they're fun to build with. Yeah. Um, got to make some sweet new fixtures. Yeah. That's awesome. Always fun. Uh, Tell us about the sweet spot. I think that's kind of interesting. You know, I, I know you think a lot about the business and the, and the, you know, like how you're going to market your product, about the finished product. Clearly, you've learned a lot in the in six years, you said, that you've been doing Sklar bikes. And so you have a, an idea of like what compels your customers to your brand and to buy. And so, you know, the, the launch of a, it's a stock size or stock, right, stock size frames. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm curious all about that because that's like to me that's really interesting from a lot of angles, you know, especially like the business side of it. Yeah, it's um, it's something I'd thought about for a long time, and a lot of other builders do it too. It turns out, um, but um, I guess just my my reasoning was that I spend, you know, the the time I spend on a frame. Uh, most of that is in customer communication, right? And um, when you buy a Sklar, you're not buying. I don't do like, I, I don't work with customers who come to me and say, oh, I want like a fat bike with a 73 millimeter bottom bracket with uh, this bottom bracket drop. Like, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing super ultra custom. You tell me what you want stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still I'm very accommodating, but you know, you come to me because you want a bike that's, you've seen the bikes I build. You can tell like my design philosophy from looking at those bikes and you want something of that flavor. Um, but that's tailored to you, to your riding style, to your dimensions, to, you know, what components you want to use on it, all that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you're still getting like the Sklar design philosophy or whatever. So, um, the sweet spot's sort of like the distillation of that. Um, just like, to cut down on lead times and then also to uh for i find a lot of customers too especially in the last couple of years i've been getting customers who are like i just want a mountain bike like i know you'll do a good job with the geometry like we don't really need to talk about it that much um and so this was sort of the answer to that like i've built a lot of mountain bikes and this one is super fun and i think a lot of people will be really well served by it mm-hmm. and um they get to get that distillation of my design philosophy and um yeah so that's pretty much the thinking on it um also there's some you know sub-assembly things that i can keep in the shop um like i do a i do seat tubes and chain stay assemblies for all the sizes Mm -hmm. and i keep i've been keeping a couple of those rounds like the seat tubes bent slotted mitered and has a drop report on it so that which is something like awesome to do in batches yeah and then I just stick a seat tube in and stick the chain stay assembly in and then have to miter a front triangle and seat stays. And so when I get an order for a sweet spot, I can, um, I can usually, if I have all that stuff on hand, I can get it out same day to the paint. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And so it saves time for customer for me. Yeah. And I get a sweet bike faster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think all that stuff makes sense and it's cool to see the, the specifics of like how it's executed, but yeah, I mean like you've been riding mountain bikes since forever and you built a ton of them. And so of course, like, you know, you have a a lot of ideas about how you want to build your bike and, uh, 
and not everybody needs custom and uh and that's fine you know like sometimes it makes more sense to just mm-hmm. uh to just pick it up uh one of the things i had on the list is like i'm really curious always for for um for builders who you know like like what is your advice to your former self or to new builders who are like you know trying to find their way because i think all of us who have like done anything for a while start to like yeah have those thoughts about how we could have done things better or we see someone else like just trying to push water uphill and say come on there's like there's an easier way (laughs) uh yeah that's a good question um my advice would probably be to (laughs) to not build steel bikes um (laughs) maybe um i think no i think well on that vein i would um I think I would have, the slow growth thing was good for my business, but I do somewhat regret. I wish I could have, like there's lots of things I would have changed business wise Mm -hmm. for, I think like, you know, getting, it's hard to build enough bikes to get really good, but I think it would be really nice to launch with a high end product and launch with a super dialed product and brand and all that, which is, you know, very much easier said than done but um there wasn't when i started there wasn't much planning that had gone into like what's this business going to look like mm-hmm. um so maybe thinking further ahead and thinking what you want to get out of it I, I suppose is uh probably the most helpful thing for making those decisions yeah because um, if you let your business o- grow organically from like like a hobby curiosity into a business into like a serious serious business then where you started will end up having a pretty big effect on where you find yourself is partly what you're saying right that like you maybe wish you would have thought a little more critically about like where you wanted to get so that you could have started more strategically yeah like okay i'm starting a bike company like what you know you like I don't know when you start a business. I think you really not that like I build bikes for the money, but like a good question to ask is like how much money do I want to make mm-hmm. in ten years? Like, do I want to be able to buy a house or save any money, or am I cool being a starving artist mm-hmm. type? And like that's a pretty easy way to answer. Like, okay, what kind of customers do I want to talk to? Like, how can I talk to them and still have a brand that's like true to myself? Yeah, and true to what I want to make. Um, which are the things I've been like the last two years have been really focused on, on that. And I've, I've definitely made some really intentional shifts towards like how I talk about the bikes and brand to, to better serve a sustainable business. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah. So that'd be my advice. I think is yeah, if you want to do as a business, also like if you want to build bikes as a business or a hobby, like building bikes would be a pretty sweet hobby too. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really fun hobby. I think the thing that gets me down the most about building as a hobby is just like, and this is maybe something where we're different. I feel like I get so hung up on all these things where it's like, ah, wish I had a better way to do that. And then I like, I hem and haw and I just stop what I just stop what I'm doing and I build a tool, you know, I just Mm -hmm. can't, I can't finish a bike without like, I just get so hung up on the details, you know? And I think maybe you, you have a little more patience for like getting it done, which I think is a really valuable life skill generally. Uh, And I think I'm getting better at that as I get older. I think I'm getting better at realizing that like, um, what I, what I would like is to have a satisfying process from start to finish. But what I really Mm -hmm. want more than that 
is to have like, yeah, like a business that works or something. So like, let's accept some compromise in the name of yeah. like living the life we want to live. So yeah, you got to find that balance. Yeah. And I still spend lots of time. I make a lot of tools still. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I mean, I do the too, more. But... <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Cause you're making tools. So yeah, that's, uh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfectionism. That's a Carl Strong quote. Perfectionism is a sin. <laughs> yeah i can see that from you know from talking to him uh yeah uh tell us about dangle supply oh you want to, oh uh, <laughs> if you yeah, we care to supply. um yeah when i was learning to weld titanium uh i'd cut up all these practice joints like had to do joints and i was just sitting around welding them and then throwing them away, which felt super bad. Mm -hmm. um, and this was sort of at the peak of like internet bike packing being cool. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I think still maybe the coolest thing to do was to dangle your titanium camp mug from your silo bag. Mm -hmm. And so me and a friend were like, Oh, it'd be funny if it was a bong. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so in order to make fun of, those people i welded up a titanium bong to dangle and we made a joke instagram account to make fun of internet bike packers um and then people started asking to buy the dangle bongs um they were named the dangle bongs and um that's how that company started yeah so we got a ton of band we did like a pre-order and we sold um i think our first pre-order we sold like a hundred bongs in three hours which was crazy and uh <laughs> Yes, that's been a, it's yeah, now it's like a it's a real business which is pretty crazy and I get to do it with uh one of my good friends who moved to moved away from Bozeman to Los Angeles. So it's kind of our fun project we get to work on together. That's funny. And uh yeah, it's our motto is it's like a joke but it's not. Um, <laughs> but it's been a fun outlet and like fun to I've actually learned like a lot of, you know, a lot about doing e-commerce and yeah. Um, online and it's like in a pretty interesting space right now with uh where uh legal cannabis is going and uh yeah it's a, it's a fun little project yeah i don't have any like sort of side projects or anything like i just make the tools mm -hmm. that i sell to frame builders and i don't know <laughs> uh -huh. when i will stumble upon some idea that i just cannot resist or something like uh, as a as a side project or as a joke, so I don't know whether or not that's in the cards for me. But I I always uh, I feel like I, I just I feel like I'm I mean not so, to sound self important like I'm so busy, but I feel like I have too many aspirations <laughs> with the thing I'm already focused on to want to uh -huh. like split my focus. But uh, you know I always have had a an interest in like weird kooky stuff that is fun, and especially if it was like a legitimate revenue stream, then it'd be like all right, maybe I'll just. Uh, yeah i mean i was pretty hesitant too until it, like we're like oh people actually want to buy these things <laughs> and, yeah <laughs> um maybe i shouldn't say that but, <laughs> but yeah um yeah it's been fun and it's been a fun because you get the bike biz is so you know you go hang out with your bike biz friends it's pretty um insular yeah and so it's kind of fun to have to be like, oh, this is how most of the rest of the world does business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is actually and interesting. Like, yeah. Because... Uh, learning about like SEO and all that stuff. 
Yeah, there's so many um there's so many like things about business and marketing that I'll hear about that just do not seem to pertain to my business at all, like especially stuff about local business, like I mean nobody in mm-hmm. New York state like New York state is like 2% of my business or something. It's like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Like and nobody ever comes to my shop to pick up an order or something. Like there's just mm-hmm. there's hardly any frame builders in the whole state and most of them are in New York City and um mm-hmm. so anyway like a lot of stuff just doesn't apply to me but like if you had a different type of business model like something that was popular amongst huge swaths of the population like that then like yeah that would it would it would force you to like learn some new lessons about business that could be really interesting yeah totally yeah and it has been and it's you know i've learned things i've gotten to apply things from squalor to that business and i've gotten to learn things from that business and apply to squalor and yeah yeah it's just it's the business side of you know, business is, it's kind of fun. It's kind of like a puzzle in the same way that building a frame is. Or yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's interesting to me is because I think actually a lot of the things that I like about the creative problem solving in the shop and end up being like, they kind of scratch the same itch as like when you're trying to figure out how to solve a business problem too, or like, or like, you know, if I'm designing a tool and it's the best tool I could ever possibly make, you know, spare no expense. That's like one kind of problem solving issue. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's legitimate. And then there's another one to say, like, you know, if I do it, if I make this thing out of tooling plate, it's going to be way more complicated than I make it out of extruded bar. And if I, if I, um, mm-hmm. if I want it to be, you know, parts of it with this plating and parts of it with this plating, parts of it with this plating, and I got to send it to six places, like that's a problem. And so like, you mm-hmm. know, the, the problem solving that goes right. into designing things for the real world and for customers at a reasonable price point, like, you know, because it's a business, it changes the shift of it. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. It's still like, it's still fun, creative yeah. problem solving. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and those constraints help you make smart choices or like help you make any choice at all. You know, not just be paralyzed by all the yeah. options. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, yeah. um, I mean that mostly exhausts my list. If you have any uh message that you care to share with the the frame building listenership, uh you may do so. Oh, sure. Um yeah, I hope it was helpful. And if people have questions, I'm always happy to answer questions, especially if you have something to show, uh, you know, or like are serious about it. I'm always happy to help. Uh, Yeah, no secrets. Building bikes is fun. You should do it. (laughs) Cool. I really (laughs) appreciate it. Buy tools from Cobra. (laughs) Yeah. Cobra brand tools. (laughs) Yeah. You heard it here, folks. Well, thanks so much, Adam. I really appreciate you being on the show. And, um, it's probably the longest we've ever talked with our voices, but as, as you mentioned, yeah. we've, uh, we've been buddies for quite a long time and especially, yeah, I think back in like 2014, we were just on Facebook messenger all the time. So, uh, <laughs> yep. anyway, uh, yeah, thanks crazy. so much and, uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yep. Bye. All right. Bye.